Everyone, remain calm. Yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. And later there's running and screaming. Somebody talk to me, what is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. You're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. You want to consult here or in my bungalow? <laughs> Hold on to your butt. Well, we're back. Hello and welcome to the 120th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we'll dive into a ton of news, celebrate a birthday, and then we have episode 8 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park, covering some of the things that are happening around the events of Jurassic Park 3. It's again filled with cameos from around the Jurassic community, so stay tuned for that one. After that, we'll do our usual Extinction Level after show, covering some of the plot points and coolest moments from the episode. Next up, we'll have our latest trek onto the game trail, this time with Aaron Beyer and Victoria from Victoria's Cantina, taking a look at the original Jurassic Park builder, Jurassic Park Operation Genesis. Seeing as though the hype around Jurassic World evolution is so big right now, we figured we'd head back in time and find out what Victoria and Aaron thought about Jurassic Park Operation Genesis. And to round out the show, we're going to dive into the audio lab and hear from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom actor Rafe Spall as he reveals the character that he's going to be playing. You won't want to miss it. All right, well, we've got a packed episode for you today, so why don't we get things started off with a bit of Jurassic news from around the world. 18 minutes and your company catches up on 10 years of research. Access me, program. Access me, security. These pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. Boy, my head being right all the time. But today, I guarantee it. First off here in a long news week, we have some information regarding merchandise for the upcoming Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom via a press release from Toy News International. Here's a few details from the press release. Master Globe toy partner Mattel and Lego Systems will lead the retail rollout with toys across a variety of play patterns and age segments, additional toy, role play, and costume licensees supporting the second film include Funko, Build-A-Bear, Rubies, Wowie, and more. Other multi-tiered and cross-category licensees involve apparel and home decor, H&M, Freeze, Fifth Son, Isaac Morris, GBG, Fast Forward, and Franco. Food, beauty, and stationary expressions, Kellogg's, Ferrero, Jelly Belly, Pez, GBG, Beauty, Party City, Innovative Designs, Deco Pack, and American Greetings. Gaming and Digital recently debuted Jurassic World Evolution from Frontier Development with additional gaming titles and platforms from other partners to be announced soon. So wow, there is a ton of detail to sift through here. Uh, the biggest news being the announcement that Funko will be producing items to support the next film. I am so happy about that. That is amazing. If you've ever seen a Funko Q&A, on Twitter or Reddit, then I'm sure you've seen all the begging and pleading from Jurassic fans for JP theme Funko Pops, which if you don't know, uh, are those small, probably few inch high toys with the big heads, the eyes, um, 
and they're usually pretty accurate in their details, surprisingly. So it'll be interesting to see who they choose, how they'll look. Honestly, even though it says in support of the next film, I think it's safe to assume they'll be creating uh, the original JP characters before anything else. Um, they would for sure see a ton of sales, so that's what I expect to come first. But aside from that, they did mention a ton of other products from costuming, uh, robotic toys or cars, food items, home decor, Lego, and even additional gaming titles aside from Jurassic World Evolution. Now that is great to hear as well. I'm kind of expecting more games along the lines of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World Builders on mobile devices, and uh, maybe even a Lego Fallen Kingdom game. That I'm sure that's something that could happen, but this is all speculation for now, so let's wait and see. I'm going to include a link to the press release in our show notes. Jurassic World Spain on Instagram and Twitter posted an image that they said was from the brand licensing expo this past week, featuring some new shirts, bags, and plushes, it looked like. Um, now, the shirts are the most interesting part, as they seem to... Uh, mostly use old renders of the T-Rex from Jurassic World, including that weird, really weird head-on shot of the Rex. I, th I think it just looks terrible, to be honest. Um, but the best part of the image, uh, another shirt actually says, Dinosaurs have rights too. Now this is this phrase on the on the shirt is included with a, a Rex on there as well, and it's a common theme that has been throughout um, the production of the film, via tweets from Frank Marshall and probably a few others. So it is nice to see that they are recognizing that phrase or that uh, theme on a shirt, and it gives a plethora of ideas on how that theme fits into the film for me. Um, now, it's a very low-res picture, but it seems to feature some other cool items. And uh, also, in the background, there's that all really awesome lava orange cracked Rex logo. I love that thing. It looks amazing. I want to get, like, everything that they put that on. But uh, also at the Brand Licensing Expo, we we've seen shots of very cool-looking posters, um, one of them featuring a brand-new shot of the Rex that we all love. She looks fantastic in this render. Um, it also features the Fallen Kingdom logo. We have Blue on there and Owen. Sadly, still no feature for Claire here on this poster. Um, you know, she was the focus of the first story in Jurassic World and should be the focus of this story in Fallen Kingdom, but she's still nowhere to be found in this marketing. Hopefully it picks up and she's included in more. I'm surprised after so much talk about her being the lead in the last film that she's still nowhere to be found. But like I said, let's hope it picks up and we'll see more from her soon. Also at the expo, there was an awesome display featuring that familiar backdrop of the museum-esque shot that has been the only officially released image so far. Um, from the film. In front of that backdrop, they also had a small recreation of something similar to that dinosaur that is featured in that poster, um, or, or the picture itself, in the center of that image with the girl staring at it. Um, this was a very nice touch, I think, for the expo, and it looked like a ton of people were taking pictures with it. If you search on Instagram, I'm sure you've probably seen it. There was a lot of people taking pictures. Um, we are going to include some of those images found at the expo in our show notes, so head to our website and check them out. <laughs> There's been some reporting on the trailer release for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. If you head over to JurassicWorld2Movie.com, they wrote up an article about the potential release date being uh, December 13th, 2017, in front of The Last Jedi. Now, the source on this is Dirt Tease on Instagram, which seems to be a geek shirt supplier. Now, for some reason, I don't know why, I'm slightly leery on this one. 
There have been reports about the trailer or at least the teaser coming out on Thanksgiving during the uh, typical football, you know, Thanksgiving game on, at, at night there. So I'm wondering if maybe a shorter teaser will pop up on Thanksgiving and maybe a longer one in front of The Last Jedi, maybe? Um, also, The Last Jedi debuts on De- December 15th with a preview night, uh, you know, the early screening is on the 14th. So I'm not really sure how the 13th comes in here. Um, also, for the most part, major movie releases for trailers don't debut in theaters anymore. It's it's rare to actually see that, I feel like. They typically promote them dropping during a big event, like a football game or, or something, on television or online even. And then they bump them into theaters uh, in front of big movies and whatnot. But for now, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. I have posted the link to that article in our show notes, so go check it out. Happy birthday to Arliss Howard, who played the despicable uncle Peter Ludlow in The Lost World. His birthday is Wednesday, October 18th, so make sure to reach out and wish him a happy birthday. Oh, there it is. There it is. And now let's dive into episode 8 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Previously on Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Ah! Jeez, Tim. How the hell do you figure they'll let you join the Navy with nightmares like that? Murphy! Hey, I know you. You're Mr. Masrani, right? If you want to conquer fear, don't sit home and think about it. Go out and get busy. People living on Isla Madanceras. I need to go there as soon as possible. Thanks for arranging this, Jorge. Dr. Harding, I believe you know him. Heard of? What brings you back to Isla Sona? My father, as a matter of fact. Vic, we got some more unwelcome visitors. Episode 8, Matanceros. At least an hour had passed in the control tower on Isla Sona, where they had followed the aircraft's journey over the island until it had landed, if only for a short moment. A control worker was scribbling a note for his commander, and the man entered the room again, holding a fresh cup of coffee, blowing on it to cool it down. Sir? Yes? They landed on the airstrip, as you said, but it appears they took off again shortly afterwards. Look, the monitor bleeped at this location, just before they fell off the radar again. What does that mean? I... I think they may have crashed. The commander picks up the phone and presses the top speed dial button again. Vic? Yeah, they touched ground. It seems they landed, took off again, and crashed somewhere north of the landing strip. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Go! Keep me posted. The monitor started bleeping again. What now? Seems to be a helicopter. Not bound for us. Seems to be headed for Matanceros. What? What's happening? Have these islands become a tourist getaway all of a sudden? In Guterres' helicopter now approaching Isla Matanceros, Marty Guterres nervously looks down at the fax paper he had received yesterday evening. Almost there, senor. Isla Matanceros is one a la derecha. On the right? Okay. Oh, just get me down there. You know the village. Si, senor. Near East Coast. Mi hermano, he brings supplies with boat. Good. So everybody but the government knew about this place. Just take her down near the village. They fly over a narrow beach, a small patch of jungle, and then a field. The village is inside. Aquí, señor? Si, por favor. They start their descent, down to an open field nearby the village. 
In the meantime, also the helicopter carrying Maserani, Sarah and Tim are nearing Isla Sorna, the green mountains rising out of the blue ocean surrounding the island. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Isla Sorna. The helicopter flies from the sea over the cliffs and over the jungle. The secured worker village is at Little Inn and south of the island. We should be in for some pretty sights if you look down below. There. Do you see their necks? The brushes source among the trees. And there you can see a herd of Gallimimus grazing in the field. This brings back memories for Tim. Like a flock of birds evading a predator. What? Oh, nothing. The Gallimimus herd is indeed not running. They're gently feeding on the grass and the bushes down below. Some of the animals standing sentry, but they're not alarmed by the helicopter passing by, and they move on. Then suddenly they hear a honking sound, softly over the rotors of the helicopter. On the next field, a group of duck-billed dinosaurs that had been gently walking along, grazing from the field and drinking from the lake, were unexpectedly alarmed by something, their heads looking nervously around, and they start to move. Look! Down there! Something spooked the herd of Hadrosaurids! Before Raymond had finished his sentence, the dinosaurs on the field started running from an attack. Tim spots them first. Velociraptors! You still keep Velociraptors on this island? Grayish raptors charging the herd of Hadrosaurids. Don't worry Tim, they keep a balance on the island, killing the weak and the sick. Could we watch the hunt unfold? As Ronnie looks at Raymond questioningly, as if to ask his opinion on the possibility to delay their arrival. Then, just before the view on the field is blocked by the jungle, Tim spots something else. What's that? Another pack of raptors? I'm not sure if we'd influence the outcome of the hub by disturbing the animals with the helicopter hanging overhead here. But we're good on few if that's what you mean. What did you see, Tim? I thought I saw another pack of raptors entering the field. Probably the ambush team of the same pack. They probably made their kill by now. They look distinctly different. These were brownish. Hagback, Raymond. Raymond turned the helicopter to fly back. In this episode we heard Masrani Global's Timothy Glover, Jurassic Outpost Jack Delamere, J Jurassic Hector Salazar Morales, Jurassic Unicast James Hawkins, Hammond Mishra, BDH Network Jennifer Tarek and Thomas Fisherman. In the next episode, Marty Guterres will arrive on Isla Matanceros meeting the people living there and will find out what happened with the raptors that Tim noticed. So be sure to tune in next time on Extinction Level Jurassic Park. So there you have it, episode eight of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Um, this one was a, a little bit more slow paced, I guess, than the last episodes, uh, especially number seven, I believe. That one just had so much stuff, so jam packed with elements that crossed over from things we know and new things we're finding out. And this one kind of uh, banks off of that one just a little bit. It does start off on Sorna, again with the control workers that we found out about last time that are in the control tower, I guess, uh, watching any incoming planes and whatnot. And they, they notice the plane coming in and it's the restricted area, no planes are supposed to be there. And that kind of gave us this sense that, look, we're, we're talking about the plane from Jurassic Park 3 with Grant, the Kirby's and whatnot. Um, now, 
you know, the plane, they noticed that the plane came in, it landed and took off shortly after. Um, so that gives us more clues that it's definitely JP-3. Um, the, now the commander that's in this control tower, he calls angrily to Vic, and we, we kind of get the sense that this is Vic Hoskins. We know he's been working with, I guess, InGen or Mizrani for a while now, and um, so, so the commander calls him, and he's like, look, the plane touched ground, it landed, it took off, and it crashed north of the runway. Um, and he tells him to, to essentially just go, like, go take care of it. Um, what that means, I'm not sure. I kind of envision him, uh, you know, since we didn't see him in Jurassic Park 3, at least without knowing any of the, the future story here, I, I just want to know what he's doing. Is he going to go and watch them, see what they're doing? Because we know he doesn't intervene in any way. We never saw them uh, in that movie. Until Jurassic World, we didn't know he existed. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays into this story and what happens there. We also know that another helicopter um, is coming in. It's heading to Isla Matanceras. Um, Gutierrez is on board. We've, we know about Gutierrez. He's kind of trying to figure out what's going on on these other islands here. The, the, the outbreak, per se, that's going on. And he wants to land in a village on the East Coast. We've probably heard about this village before in one of the previous episodes. Um, now, there is also a second helicopter um, heading to Sorna. And we know from uh, last time, I forget, I'm, I'm kind of all confused right now. One of the previous episodes, Mizrani, Tim, and Sarah, um, they get in the helicopter. They have a bunch of uh, conversations, discussions. And uh, as they're, they're venturing towards this island, uh, Mizrani is pointing out the dinosaurs that are there, uh, like the Brachiosaurus, the Gallimimus. And it kind of flashes Tim, you know, back into that moment when he was on the island. It brings back a lot of memories, even to the point of him kind of mouthing or saying things that he said previously, which is funny. And it kind of, inter uh, Sarah interrupts him and, and is like, what was that? What, what, what are you saying, Tim? And he's like, oh, no, nothing. Never mind. Uh, don't forget about what I was saying. Um, so that's pretty funny. Uh, but it, they do notice below them that there's a herd of hadrosaurs and something spooks them. And uh, they, they actually see that a pack of raptors is heading that way, spooking the dinosaurs, making, I guess, the herd take off. Um, and Mizrani kind of lets Tim know it's okay. This is kind of the balance of the island, taking control, keeping everything in balance, I guess. Sarah wants to stick around in the helicopter, watch the hunt, see what happens, because that's what she does. She likes to see what the dinosaurs are doing in their natural environment. Now, they do notice some, something else from a different angle, I guess, is spooking these dinosaurs. Another pack of raptors may have been seen by Tim, possibly. There was a lot of, um, I don't know, intrigue. It, that we weren't really sure, I feel like, what it was. So I feel like we're going to have to revisit that moment and see exactly, have that answer, you know, solved for us. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as the episode goes, that was about it. The helicopter heads back and that's the end. So like I said, it was a slower paced episode, not a ton that happened, but I feel like, honestly, I feel like this one sets up a lot. Like there's a lot of answers that need to be solved. There's a lot of things that I'm like really intrigued about, like Hoskins, where is he going? What's up with that, uh, that that's maybe potentially second pack of Raptors? But uh, yeah, so there, there was a lot of great people in this episode, people that you've probably heard of or know from our community here, Jack Delamere from The Outpost, Jay Jurassic, 
Timothy Glover from Israni Global, James Hawkins here from our podcast. Um, Arjun, obviously great work. Jennifer did it. Uh, another uh, another episode here as Sarah. Tom Fishenden, who you hear a lot here on the podcast. Um, so that was another great episode of Extinction Level. Um, now stay tuned. Next week, we're actually going to air um, episode nine. Um, hopefully, we'll learn a lot more about what I just talked about here. Episode nine next week. Stay tuned for Extinction Level Jurassic Park. This is a game trail, Mr. Ludlow. Carnivores hunt on game trail. Hey, I'm coming online. Get over there! Some people think that robots are the future. This is a game trail. Thinking machine supercomputers and virtual reality displays. This is a game we call hide and seek. It's a scent drill. We've done it about a thousand times with these animals. This is a game trail. Look at these creatures. They've got millions of years of instinct in their cells. Instinct that we can program. Herd the animal into a kill zone. That's when we take our shot. Get a clear shot, wait on my command, and give her everything you got. I hate computers. This new program's incredible. Violence and technology, not good bedfellows. Hey Jurassic fans, and welcome to The Game Trail, the Jurassic Park podcast segment where we cover all things Jurassic gaming. I'm Aaron Beyer, and today I'm joined by friend of the show, Victoria, from Victoria's Cantina, to discuss the video game Jurassic Park Operation Genesis. Victoria, how are you? I'm great, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me on this segment. How are you? I'm doing okay. A bit busy at work, but, uh, you know, that, that can be expected. Sure. Now, one of the things I like to ask the panel uh, when they come on to the show, um, you're actually new here to the game trail, not necessarily to the Jurassic Park podcast, but what what's your history with gaming? Are you a current gamer? Uh, what's your favorite video game? Are you playing anything now? I'm not what I would call a consistent gamer. Uh, throughout my life, ever since I was a kid, there have been games that I've been drawn to and latched onto. As far back as I can go, I recall my aunt and uncle had an Atari that when they left for college, they handed it down to us. Uh, meaning me and my siblings and uh, that's the first thing that I remember as far as gaming goes uh, after that uh, I know I had a Game Boy and was playing a uh, Super Mario Brothers on that uh, I was never really consistent with consoles like it was that and then my brother got an N64 you know several years later we never had like the Sega Genesis or you know like the Nintendo consoles things like that after that uh, I don't think I had anything until I got an Xbox and then uh, Xbox 360. And as an adult, I've kind of been more consistent with buying the newer and newer consoles, but even then I'm not really an avid gamer. Uh, lately it's been more like Star Wars Battlefront and uh, the Batman Arkham games, which I'm a huge fan of. And uh, every now and then I'll play stuff on my phone like Jurassic Jump <laughs> it was the more recent one that I actually right. finished. But yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge gamer. I, I try to at least have something to, to, to latch onto every now and then. and play when I'm especially bored, which is pretty infrequently because I'm always so busy as well. Yeah, you know, what a lot of people out there don't really realize is that to record these these sessions takes a long time to set up. Um, you and I have been talking for what feels like months about collaborating and, and, and doing a, a segment together, whether it was on this show or on your show, you know, and, it, and it's tough to get that all lined up. So busy lives lead to, you know, infrequent gaming, unfortunately. And as fans of Jurassic Park, hopefully we all had a chance to play, you know, some, if not all of the Jurassic Park games. Now is Operation Genesis, is that your favorite Jurassic Park game? Or is it like the one you know the best? Or how does that fold out in your life? Yeah, to be completely honest, Operation Genesis is the only console game that I've actually owned and, and spent hours upon hours playing. Uh, I didn't get the Jurassic Park game that came out uh, a few years after it did. The only other ones that I've played are like the arcade games, like when I've been in an arcade, which isn't very often. 
Um, so yeah, as far as console games go, or, or I did do the mobile one too, now that I think about it, the Jurassic World mobile game, I, I played that uh, for a bit until I got, I got, I think I got a new iPhone, and what happened is that I didn't like transfer the game over or something or other, uh, where I didn't connect it to Facebook, and it, it, I lost everything, so I quit playing it at that point. Oh no, that's the worst. Yeah, and I didn't want to start from the beginning, so I just let it go, and yeah. But Operation Genesis was, was totally like the number one like Jurassic game for me. Yeah, so... You know, the reason we're covering Operation Genesis uh, in this segment is specifically because Jurassic World Evolution got announced a few weeks back. Everyone is really, seems to be really excited for that game, which seems to be kind of like a spiritual successor to Operation Genesis. It just felt like it was relevant again. I looked up some reviews online for Operation Genesis. Uh, they're kind of mixed, but are you excited for Jurassic World Evolution? Have you seen that trailer? Oh, absolutely. I saw it the day that they released and I know everybody was sharing it on social media and stuff and yeah I'm stoked for that because I've wanted a follow-up to Operation Genesis for a really long time and even though it's not a straight-up uh, follow-up it's still like you said within the same realm it's still in the, in the same spirit as Operation Genesis was as far as we can tell so far and uh, maybe there'll be more that you can do on the side in regards to that but uh, yeah I'm absolutely excited for it on day one I'm definitely gonna buy it yeah I haven't decided yet if I'm playing that on PC or PlayStation 4 um, I, I'm kind of leaning towards my PS4 only because it's just so much nicer to sit on my couch uh, and oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> You know, and do that stuff, but the Xbox is getting keyboard and mouse support, so maybe I'll jump over there and, and play it there. You know, getting back to this game, uh, it was released in 2003, which is a really weird time to come out with a Jurassic Park game, considering Jurassic Park 3 was in 2001, so this feels like a weird time to release a game in 2003, uh, but it came out on PC, PlayStation 2, and Xbox. It was developed by Blue Tongue Entertainment and published by Konami and Universal Interactive. Do you did you play it on Xbox or did you play it on PlayStation or PC? I played it solely on Xbox, and it wasn't until 2005 that I actually acquired the game. Oh, okay. So in 2005, now did you pay extra? Because I know the game is fairly expensive now. Did you pay a premium to get the game, or no? I think it was. Uh, no? I bought it from. I believe it was either Sam Goody or Fye. It was one of those like kind of more like a uh, niche like electronics, you know, CD store, you know, video games type stores. Uh, at the time, and it was like $20, I think. Oh, awesome. Yeah, what's interesting, though, uh, sort of, is that uh, my Xbox later that same year got stolen, and that game was in the game tray. Um, and, no! Uh, yeah, you know, I had the serial number for the Xbox, so it was retrieved by the police. Unfortunately, the game was gone. So what I did after that is I went back to that same store, and luckily they still had another copy for the same price, 20 bucks. so I bought it again. <laughs> Oh man, you're so lucky. It's crazy I mean, how not much lucky it... stuff got stolen, but lucky that like there was a copy, you know, left to, to buy, especially in 2005. Yeah, totally. It's insane how much that game costs on the secondary market these days. Yeah, you know, I was looking at the copies and like to get a PC versions like, you know, almost 100 bucks, especially if you get it in the box and with the original case and all that. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, kind of moving on from, you know, weird stories of of where we bought the game, which I'm sure too many people aren't maybe not interested in because I, I bought mine from Target <laughs> just for the record but let's see let's talk about uh, some reviews IGN um, back in 2003 Aaron Bolding gave the review and he said uh, Jurassic Park could be a real hoot for serious dinosaur enthusiasts but not necessarily for fans of the movies or tycoon game fans I don't fall into any of those categories so I can honestly say that JP is good but not great and not really bad. As good as the control system is on Xbox, games like this just aren't as appealing on console. I wouldn't ask for more action because that's not what the game is about, but as it is, it doesn't do genre well enough to be considered a must-have on Xbox, which that's a, that's a review that maybe I disagree with. I'm not sure about you. 
Yeah, as a Jurassic fan, you know, lifelong Jurassic fan, I mean, that that to me just seems like a little something I would disagree with for sure. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like he doesn't even like these kind of games or Jurassic Park in general, so I don't really mm-hmm. know why he was assigned this game. You know, we shouldn't fault IGN. That's that's definitely over t- 10 years ago, and I know their policies have changed as far as like how they review games. So, uh-huh. But we'll, we'll move on to uh, what I see here is actually a nicer review of the game. Yes, and that's from GameSpot 2003. Bob Kaliko says, Jurassic Park Operation Genesis is an enjoyable game that should appeal to dinosaur buffs and park simulation fans alike, thanks to its attractive graphics engine and unique features. And that's a review that I can totally get behind. Totally agree with that. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. Uh, One of my favorite parts about Operation Genesis was the artwork in it. Uh, A lot of the dinosaurs actually looked, you know, they're not going to look movie accurate, right? Because we're talking about graphics from the early 2000s. But as far as like the textures go, they represented the Jurassic Park dinosaurs. There wasn't any crazy color schemes that personally, like I don't like crazy colors on dinosaurs. I specifically like the the colors from the first two movies. Uh, But it's like when you get into Jurassic Park 3, which this game came out after, you start getting into some really crazy uh, color schemes especially for like the Brachiosaur JP3, which I absolutely hated. The Metacritic on this game is a 72, and that's for the PC version. I think that's a, I think that's a fair score to give a game like this. I had never played any other Tycoon games before this one. Were you into like the Zoo Tycoon games back in the day? No, never. I mean, I, they always appealed to me like externally, but I never actually got to play them. But I'm sure if I would have, I probably would have enjoyed them. Right. It was definitely a really cool game. I feel like they nailed what Jurassic Park was. There had been a, a handful of games that had come out prior Uh, you know, on Nintendo and Sega and uh, even PlayStation 1 had The Lost World, which was, you know, kind of an action side scroll, 3D side scrolling game. And and to me, those never really captured the essence of what Jurassic Park was about. And this game really got it with the whole park creation and management and, you know, taking care of all the dinosaurs as far as like keeping them, keeping them up on their flu shots, you know, stuff that maybe might seem mundane, but that's kind of, you know, if if you were working at Jurassic Park, that's the stuff you'd have to deal with. Right, completely. I'm going to go to the back of the box here and I'll kind of read a brief synopsis of what the game specifically uh, was about. All right. And so the back of the box, you hold in your hands, the ultimate power of creation and destruction, design, build and rule your own thrilling theme park with real dinosaurs as the main attractions. Command everything from the ticket prices to the T-Rex. The world of Jurassic Park is yours. I know that grabbed my eye, especially when I was walking down the aisle at the uh, the Target Grand Rapids, Michigan, while I was in college. And I wasn't one of those college kids that uh, ran around with a ton of money. So when I purchased this game, it was it was a pretty big stretch, uh, you know, for me to get that. And uh, my original copy I played on a PC, and then I eventually found a PlayStation 2 version. Uh, and I kind of gravitate more towards the PC, PC version for, uh, you know, kind of attacking abilities. Um, I never modded the game or anything, but... Uh, I did go into the code and to kind of like up my dinosaur counts and up my fence counts and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, so do you have any specific memories about the game? Like, was there anything that you loved or really appreciated about it? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, the whole game, the fact that it's a Jurassic Park game in and of itself is was obviously very appealing to me. What I really liked about it is that you could build your very own Jurassic Park. And I mean, it, to me, it's kind of hard to think of something that's even cooler than that. And uh, not only that, but you could also design your island, you could choose what species, whose fossils you wanted to go after, then you could customize your paddocks and exhibits and just totally customize the whole thing. That meant that every single Jurassic Park that you would build would be different. It would mean that it was different from somebody else that might have been playing the game. Uh, I, I mean, I love that when there's something that you love, but you can also create it and make it your own. And I think to me, that was the best aspect of the game. Yeah, you know, you mentioned like, you know, you could even design the island itself and you know maybe for people who haven't played this game you could literally decide 
Was it an island that was uh, mainly land? Did it have a lot of like rivers? Did you know? Was it was it really sporadic and mostly water? And depending on how you made that land, added to the challenge of oh, well, how do you set up your fences? Where do you put your visitor center? You know, how do rides interact with you know the rivers and and whatnot? Because a lot of the you know this is again 2003. There was a lot of limitations you know for video games back in those days, and so it was strategically. You, the first decision you make is is how to shape your island, and I feel like that's a really that's a really strategic decision, uh, going right into it. Yeah, they totally nailed the ability to, um, you know, make you want to go back and play this again. Yeah, totally. And uh, a lot of the time, once I finished playing it, or you know, once you got to that point where you couldn't really do a whole lot anymore, you know, I would just start a new island. It'd be the same thing, like from scratch. And I mean, not only could you customize it to the point where you were selecting how many rivers you would have and mountains and all that, but you could also adjust the size of the island. So if you wanted like a really big island, really spread out, you could do that. If you wanted a more intimate sized island, you could do that. And that, what I really liked about about the big bigger islands, if you wanted to make a really big one, and this is something I, I recall really fondly is that you could make several parks on the same island oh you know i never even thought of doing that i had i had done two visitor centers at one point and they kind of like they were at each end of the island and then like things would you know kind of come together in the center but i found i wasn't actually making any extra money that way for some weird reason <laughs> it was like it, it spread out the amount of helicopters that would show up but one of the things that I kind of, you know, maybe found annoying about it was that there were dinosaur counts on the uh, console versions. And granted, the dinosaur counts, it was a large count. It was up in the 60s or 70s, I think. But to me, that like wasn't enough, right? Because once I created like my herd of dinosaurs, then I didn't really have very many left to, you know, to get maybe like some of the more isolated species like a T-Rex or the Spinosaurus or... You know, definitely some cool things in here. Uh, like you could, you know, set up uh, restaurants and you could set up rides. Did you have a uh, maybe favorite ride that you like to do the most? I always liked uh, doing like the balloon. I thought that was pretty fun. And the fact that you could jump into the balloon and then take pictures and make money off of that was kind of cool. I mean, they were all great though. I mean, even like the safari, if you wanted to take the, the jungle explorer for, for a spin, you could do that and, you know, watch people go into the paddocks and stuff. I thought it was always really fun. When I think about things that I would like to see in the movies, I always think about that. Uh, and I guess we kind of got a little bit in Jurassic World in, in T-Rex Kingdom, but the idea of being able to go like underground and kind of pop up in the middle of a paddock to like check out a T-Rex or, or have like raptors stare at you, I always thought that was a really interesting idea. And I kind of wished that we got even more of that in the movies. You know, I've always kind of thought it was weird that we never see the actual um, on-site attractions for the raptors in any of the movies. All the, the raptors are always like off to the side, you know, like in their own special containment unit, not really set up for visitors. And so I always wondered like, what would a raptor attraction look like? Would it be like a shark tank where like you actually are like walking through glass tunnels, you know, and, and a game like this really led my imagination to kind of think about, you know, what is in those movies that we don't know about or, you know, not that, not that there's anything secret necessarily, but you know, it leads your imagination to kind of to kind of think about what could be. Yeah, totally. I mean, that was an awesome aspect of the game as well was being able to implement those different sorts of attractions, however you wanted to do them, and the ones that where you would go under the ground and pop up, and you know, there was just a little slit. It was like a circle, and you would just kind of peek out like from uh, any side of that. They were very obscure within the paddocks, um, obviously in the game. You know, they engineered it in a way so the dinosaurs would never see you <laughs> anyway, but. It was pretty cool to be able to do that, and I, I do assume that uh, if there were some real-world application to a Jurassic Park-type park, that they could do something like that. Yeah, and and you know, you talk about real-world Jurassic Park, and um, you know, like any other job, you have bosses. 
And in uh, Operation Genesis, we had a lot of bosses. People constantly telling us what to do. You know, was there any particular... So I'll just run down the list and, and see if I can't spark your memory. But we had John Hammond, the CEO. Uh, we had Peter Ludlow, the financial director. We had Alan Grant, the world-famous paleontologist. And uh, he kind of was like out in the dig sites getting you uh, amber, um, you know, so that you could uh, get DNA for different dinosaur species. We had uh, Henry Wu, uh, who was in charge, I believe, of uh, coming up with like different like vaccines and all that kind of stuff. We had Ellie Sattler, who just was constantly telling you that things were sick or about to die. Um, let's see, we had Ray Arnold. <laughs> Um, who is about to tell you, who, who's always telling you that uh, something was broken. Uh, we had Muldoon, uh, who was in charge of, you know, tranking dinosaurs and, uh, you know, kind of keeping track of, of all the rides that maybe broke down. And then we had a new character, Jane Powers, and I'll read her little bio here. Jane Powers, the public relations manager, will call your attention to visitors' problems. Did you maybe get sick of Jane Powers when you were playing this game? Oh, absolutely. Every single time I heard her voice, I'm like, oh my goodness, what is it now? It's kind of like Ellie Sattler. I mean, I love the character, but unfortunately in the game, it was like, are you going to do something about this? Come on. You just hearing, you know, those voices repeatedly. It was like, oh my God, I got to do this. I got to do that. Yeah. Jane was just constantly in your ear. Like, like no one was ever happy. No one was ever happy. And <laughs> you'd, you'd see all these, you'd see all these smiling faces because all the little characters walking around had like little emojis above their head. And, uh, Jane was constantly like, something's wrong. You're like, no, it's not. My, my park is five stars. But uh, yeah, that girl was constantly you know, in your ear. And, and yeah, you're right. It was the same with Sattler. Something was always sick. And so the first thing I always did when I started a new game instantly was come up with all the vaccines. I don't I don't want to deal with any sick dinosaurs because I can't handle like Ellie like constantly on my back, uh, <laughs> you know, telling me what's wrong with my dinosaurs. Was there like any like go-to moves that you had when you started a new game? Uh, you know, the vaccines, I, I agree. I found those to be very important. Anytime I started a new game, I always wanted to do those. And uh, I always wanted to, you know, make sure that I had as many fossil teams as I could. And I think you had to get to a certain point before you could like buy more teams. I don't remember what point it was exactly. I think I last played the game in 2015, like early in the year. But yeah, the vaccines definitely were the ones that I would always try and, and get researched first. That way I could get those going and uh, if something got sick, you know make it better hearing those voices constantly that something's sick or you know something you get a notification that something's dead it's like well shoot i gotta fix that yeah and you know there was a lot of dinosaurs in this and and you know you you had to develop the vaccines and then it would cost you money to like give each specific species or vaccinate each specific species to um you know just to take each vaccine for each different strain of like virus and there was a lot of dinosaurs in this game i'm looking at the list right now and it looks like there is a couple dozen uh different ones um you know, all from the movie, and then even some newcomers that we had never seen before in the franchise. Um, did you have like a specific favorite in the game? Favorite dinosaur? Absolutely. Uh, I always loved creating the T-Rex because I thought that it looked a lot like the movie version. So I always wanted to have my own Rexy in my Jurassic Park. Stegosaurus, of course, also my favorite dinosaur. I always wanted to have those on hand. Um, but I never really cared a whole lot for the smaller ones, um, especially the ones like Dryosaurus. I would always die for no reason at all. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the gimme dinosaur that just dies. It's like yeah, the biggest pain. Totally. So, yeah, I always wanted the T-Rex. I always wanted Stegosaurus. And I thought Spinosaurus obviously was also pretty cool. Yeah, Spinosaurus was neat. And I always loved, um, I would put Spinosaurus and T-Rex either in the same paddock together or like right next to each other just so that they <laughs> would like want to go at it. Um, because this game had like kind of dynamic animations where, you know, all the dinosaurs had different relations uh, with each other, uh, relationships with each other, and 
depending on what it was, they would, you know, fight each other or eat each other. My favorite dinosaur in the entire thing uh, was actually one of the newcomers. It was the Oranosaurus. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh Uh, It was kind of like a duck-billed dinosaur that had like a big fin on its back, kind of like Spinosaurus. What I like specifically about this one is that we had not seen this one in a movie, to my knowledge. It's not in the herd in JP3. I don't think so. Um, But it's got a color scheme very uh, similar to what the other dinosaurs have in the movies. It's definitely its own thing. Uh, It's very unique, you know, relatable to the other colors in Jurassic Park. Like you said, the Dryosaurus, always sick, constantly sick, super annoying. And what was cool about the, you know, like I said, there's a couple dozen dinosaurs is you were right. You'd have to unlock certain dig sites and you couldn't unlock every dinosaur uh, each playthrough. Right. Yeah, that was always a little, a little frustrating to me. But at the same time, it was like, okay, well, for this park, where can I focus my resources? Like what dinosaurs do I want? And then for the next park, I would just do the other one. Um, but yeah, I really do like how, how you're mentioning Aranosaurus, how they did integrate different species that weren't even in the movies. Like, there was that one, there was Carcharodontosaurus, there was Allosaurus, there was a Homoacephaly, just din- dinosaurs. Sorry, <laughs> that name cracks me oh, up no, for some reason. <laughs> you're killing it, because I, like, pronouncing these things, like, right on the, on the fly like that, it, it, like, absolutely kills me. Like, car- I, this one, Carchantod... Dontosaurus, like yeah, Carcharodontosaurus. No oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, like, and this was kind of where I learned about like different species, and and every time I see you know there's, that there's a new movie, it's like, oh man, like I hope they pull dinosaurs from Operation Genesis, uh, you know, into into the new movie, um, just to legitimize that game even more. Because I think, in my opinion, I think this has got to be one of the, I think this has to be the best Jurassic Park game. I mean, maybe maybe only shadowed by the lego game at this point uh but to me like this is the best one. Oh, it's an amazing game yeah yeah like species like that like carcharodontosaurus homocephaly all, all you know just having all these different obscure species that aren't even mainstream species not counting the jurassic park films i mean allosaurus is a little more mainstream sure what else was in there was there a patasaurus i'm trying to recall i you know i don't think there's a patasaurus in this but there was um uh, unfortunately the dinosaur list doesn't have like pictures next to the names but like okay so there was Can- chimarasaurus that's what it was uh, chimarasaurus yeah yes. which yeah which was like a smaller um long neck dinosaur um there was brachiosaurus obviously i always love putting like all the herbivores in one in one giant paddock and then running the jeep tour like through that one paddock um, I don't know why I did that, but like almost every park that I built, that was like my go-to move was mm-hmm. I'm going to have these awesome rides through one giant paddock and then I'll have like my carnivores kind of like on the walking path. Uh, did you have like any uh, specific things that you found yourself doing all the time? That's actually something very similar to what I would do, but because I'm OCD, I would always try and have all the Jurassic dinosaurs in one uh, paddock and I'd have all the Cretaceous ones in a different area. <laughs> you know, I just couldn't mix them. Like I just could not do it occasionally when i wanted to have like a fight then you know like if i wanted stegosaurus versus t-rex well i would just sedate the stegosaurus and move it to the t-rex paddock things like that but uh yeah i I did do things like that where i would have like a really big one and chimarasaurus would be in there brachiosaurus would be in there stegosaurus and then um probably one or two other species and then i would just have yeah like the jurassic jeep just go in there and and uh i would create that tour and I would leave it kind of open to like towards like the ocean. It would be like off to the side somewhere. And then I had to right. extend the fence like out into the ocean so that the dinosaurs wouldn't walk around it. Yeah, I would always try to yeah take the fence as far out into the ocean as you can so they don't walk around. And it's it's totally a cheat, but you know honestly that that probably makes for a great plot point of a movie where it's like well we we built the fence way out into the ocean and we didn't <laughs> expect you know 
the T-Rex to like swim around it. And now it's like running loose in our park or whatever. But, uh, you know, there was, there was some other things in here. Uh, like I'm looking at just ways to cause destruction. Was there anything specifically that you remember like, uh, happening to like cause destruction in your parks? Oh yes, absolutely. There were, there were quite a few things, but the one that sticks out to me the most was the darn tornadoes. Oh my goodness. All the time every time it's like and you know it was one of those things you just couldn't plan for there was no vaccine for a tornado there wasn't anything you could really do other than create shelters and stuff but when the tornadoes hit i mean they just hit wherever they wanted whenever they wanted and i mean it was the most destructive thing in the game i mean they would just like you know barrel through kill your dinosaurs kill your guests kill your structures and you know it required a lot of money to fix that and oftentimes if enough people died you'd start losing stars and you know it would just really hinder your progress in the game yeah it was almost like a reset switch in that game i remember one night in college just dumb staying up super late you know building that park and yeah like you said a tornado comes through and it's pretty much over it's tearing through fences it'll pick up small dinosaurs and all the people it, like it will spin them around like into the sky and and i don't and you just hear that uh there was always that sound that like that drone sound that would come over the the loudspeaker that you just lost a visitor and it's like up until that point we had never seen visitors you know other than other than like people that were checking out the park for like insurance regions or whatever but we never saw like general visitors die uh in, in a jurassic park uh movie to see that on screen was like kind of a bummer and uh yeah it would just kill your progress like you'd lose a ton of money you know everyone's like sending you emails at that point like oh my gosh like so and so's not happy and you know that goes back to what was it what i say her name was jane man that girl was just always mad at me when a tornado came through it's like what do you want me to do like a tornado came through <laughs> yeah um, was was pretty awful <laughs> i think one of my one of my favorite things though was you never really saw people uh you know if, if someone got eaten by a dinosaur other uh members of the of the crowd would they would just get like the little sad emoji and it's like oh really like that's it you're just you're just frowny faced you're just sad like no one really <laughs> ever like ran in terror i don't think uh, or anything and it's like no they just, they just get sad and they they kind of run for the shelter but uh there was a tornado and then there was dinosaurs like maybe fighting through fences that would wear down fences and you'd have to re place those you would constantly have to be cleaning up your sidewalks you'd have to have benches for people to be able to rest you'd have to have restaurants i always tried to like mix up the the types of food at each restaurant i don't know why i don't think it mattered but uh, i always tried to like mix up the main dish and the side dish and yeah, like, maybe yeah. the prize you would get like if you went there yeah i always did random stuff like that you know i'm just trying to i'm looking through here do you have like any like specific memories of the the fossil buying and selling uh feature of that game was that something you enjoyed oh yeah definitely uh especially if i already had 100 percent of uh, whatever genome it was for the various dinosaurs if i found that fossil yeah i would just sell it get that money sometimes what was a bummer though is when you had amber and it, it ended up being something you already had where as you could have sold it and made a whole lot of money, but there was just no way to tell unless you extracted the DNA. Yeah, there was no way to tell. It was kind of like today's version of like the blind box. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, like I'm currently right now playing a lot of Destiny 2 and, you know, one of the big controversies surrounding that game is is the silver buying the blind boxes for shaders and it's like well you know if you don't want to take the gamble uh don't spend your real money but fortunately this didn't involve any real money the game again was was for its time very simple but also very fun um there was actually a few different modes which you know today we're covering mainly the operation genesis mode which was the building your own park but there was also like exercises and you could do like different missions 
um, which I believe like focused around a lot of like uh, photography type stuff. Did you ever do any of the photography things? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I love doing that because you could sell them and make money. Like from the air balloon, you could take photos. You had to keep retake the photos like until you got that really nice shot, and the voice would come on and be like, "Nice shot." And uh, those were the ones you could always make the most money on. It was so fun. Yeah, you know that's something I, I hope they integrate into Jurassic World Evolution. Is um, you know sharing photos is like a really big deal right now uh, in video games. And uh, I was recently playing. Oh, what was I playing? I was playing Uncharted: The Lost Legacy, and I just kept taking screenshots after screenshots because you can go into camera mode in a lot of these newer games, and you can move the camera in and around all the geometry, and you can set up like all the different camera settings, like aperture and uh, depth of field. You can give it different filters. You can uh, hide certain models and, and whatnot, and so you can get these really amazing box quality uh, photographs uh, in some of these new games. And so I, I hope that Jurassic World Evolution takes you know, again, that, that photography aspect kind of seriously, because I think that's a lot of fun to do. And I think it would be fun to share with your friends or whatever, like kind of like in a social space. Totally. Yeah, that would be a really neat feature, actually. As far as things that were really annoying with the game, I know we mentioned tornadoes and we talked about the Dryosaurus. Uh, I have a few mm -hmm. other things. So I was wondering if you had anything else that, that really like bothered you within the game. I think the biggest thing that bothered me was that you could only open so many different fossil sites. Um, and I feel like you open those up fairly quickly. So like I would say about around three stars, maybe you had everything open that you that you were allowed to do. That leaves really the last like third of the game is just kind of management type stuff. Um, and for me, it was like the constant wanting to unlock the next dinosaur, right? And and breed the next dinosaur and create different like social groups with all the different species. And so once that was kind of over, that's when I kind of started losing interest with my particular game that I was playing. And I would just kind of want to rush through the rest to uh, move on to the next one. What were some of the other things that bothered you about it? Uh, well, for me, the, the one thing that really ticked me off, especially was that people would die from exposure just from being like two feet off of a sidewalk, like for no reason at all. <laughs> what was it exposure to? Was it exposure to like heat or because was there a temperature gauge on this like I, did, I never really understood the exposure thing you know i didn't either i mean to me i just took it as you know being exposed to the elements but it's kind of like okay well you know you're two feet away from the sidewalk i mean couldn't you have walked back to the sidewalk and then found your way back um yeah i mean i could understand sometimes i think from a tornado when it did pick people up it would like throw them in other areas and then i guess maybe they just couldn't find their way back i don't know if they always died when that happened but um uh yeah like those instances where they would just like suddenly die and they were like right next to a pathway or something it just made zero sense to me when you talk about something like that i and it's kind of like a problem more or less in the code and not actually with the game design i, I think about the uh the guys that were meant to clean your park and clean your sidewalks and <laughs> it was like i would constantly be getting jane like hey your park's dirty everyone's mad because you know stuff is dirty and it's like look I didn't design this game, all right? But these people, they're only willing to walk like 10 squares before I got to build another thing uh, for cleaners to come through. So like, lay off, you know? But yeah, the, the cleaning situation was always a problem for me. And that was like the last thing I wanted to spend my money on was cleaners, you know, right. for my park. Uh, the other thing that I have here is that um, if you built like attractions that were a little bit farther away, like paddocks that were farther away and you, you extended the pathway maybe to go a little bit around like a lake or to go around a mountain or whatever. And, you know, it was just a little bit of a longer stretch of sidewalk. Like they would just not go over there. The guests would not go over there at all. Like you would check and see how much money you were making off of those specific exhibits that you had in those, in those paddocks and stuff and it would say like zero dollars right. 
And it's kind of like, come on, people. I mean, just walk down the sidewalk. We have a T-Rex over here. Go check that out. Yeah, all the all the little NPC NPC characters were kind of like, there, there was a limit as to how far they were willing to walk away from the visitor center. Because, you know, for people that haven't played, the visitor center is where all of your helicopters come in that drop off uh, visitors. I mean, yeah, it was like they wouldn't walk. If, if you had like a really big park, you would have to introduce multiple visitor centers to populate, you know, the regions. And right. I always like to have a big sprawling park. I was never... Um, as a as a younger person, I was never into the idea of Jurassic Park being like an intimate uh, park. I'm a little more into that idea, I think now, thinking of it like as more of like a village. Yeah, back then, I wanted my parks to be as big as possible, and I think I think that's the attraction of games like this. And I think that was kind of sparked, uh, at least in part, by the Jurassic Park, the original film. You know, I mean, you, you have people getting in a, a, a jungle explorer and you know having to drive to all these different parts. I mean, it's, it feels very spread out. Like the Gallimimus Valley is very far from you know the T Rex paddock, and you know, I mean, it just feels like this sprawling thing. In Jurassic World, by you know, in contrast, I mean, everything's kind of like you're saying, like more like a village type feel for the most part. I think when we're playing that game obviously way before Jurassic World you know you just kind of felt like oh it needs to be this really spread out thing to be kind of more similar to the film yeah it, it's weird because I, I maybe have like the opposite well I don't know if it's the opposite it's just that when I watched Jurassic Park as a kid I thought it was this yeah this huge massive thing right because of the jungle explorers but then I think to myself like now as an adult I'm like really like jungle explorers were the best way to get around this thing like that's that it doesn't hold very many people right which led me to kind of believe that this was like a smaller like intimate like Jurassic Park itself was a little village that then went out into this massive like land uh, of dinosaurs and when I watch Jurassic World I see like you know the hotels on the horizon and the monorail that's designed to to take you know 300 people ar around this island and it's it's kind of weird that it, it feels like the sizes of that island change uh, between those two movies mm -hmm. uh, and so like as an adult like I said I think I, I kind of gravitate towards the idea of it being like a smaller more intimate thing which is where I think Jurassic World was maybe not I don't want to say a bummer necessarily but I, I think I would have liked to have seen it almost like a private resort kind of situation rather than like this big Disney World type thing. But, you know, that's that's a decision that's obviously above uh, <laughs> my pay grade as a fan. So we could add Land Cruisers, which I thought was a, a cool thing. You could like put in Land Cruisers and you could set up your track. Um, did you ever have dinosaurs attack your Land Cruisers at all? Um, you know, I can't remember an instance where that happened. And I don't know if that's because I would usually only do those where it was like a herbivore paddock. Um, right. But I can't remember an instance where that ever happened. No. I was the same way i put them in herbivore paddocks and then one day i was like what come on what happens if i put this in a t-rex paddock and it goes down uh <laughs> that t-rex the t-rex destroys that thing and uh you eventually have to go out you have to drive it if your car gets attacked or damaged you have to um <laughs> drive it back to the little vestibule or wherever like the garage where it came from that was i don't want to say it was annoying but it was like as soon as you were in that like nothing was coming after you like nothing was attacking you but you could do like photo stuff in that too which was kind of which was kind of cool i'm just looking through the book here and it's like I'm, I'm trying to think if there's really anything else that we haven't covered um I'm, I'm sure that when we look back you know we'll say like oh man i can't believe we didn't cover this or, or didn't cover that you know do you have any like other final thoughts on on the game uh, i have a couple and one of them touches on uh what you mentioned earlier about changing the food options or the souvenir options in the different uh, gift shops and restaurants i used to totally do that too just to make sure everything was different like one thing that I always remember was like the paleo salad <laughs> was one of the things you could have like as a side. And just the names right, that they right. gave the items were funny. Dino Dog. and I forgot what the hamburger was called. <laughs> but fun stuff like that. And uh, the other thing, and this was kind of a little bit of an annoyance as well. If you wanted to add a river, you know, like kind of adjust a river, like the settings within the game, I mean, what it was, it, it had 
you know, pretty severe limitations because, you know, you couldn't make like a really like nice straight river, you know, it was always like all jagged and stuff. And if you wanted right. to flatten water or even flatten out mountains and stuff, when you would do that, it would like totally change the shape of your mountain. Even if you were just like adjusting a little portion of it, it would change like the whole side of it. And if you were just doing it like to flatten like water and make it land, it was like all jagged as well. It wouldn't like do like a nice like flat area. It would kind of like raise the... Uh, the ground a little bit things like that were kind of annoying you know you mentioned adding water and i completely forgot that like you could do things like i would sometimes i would have i would need to put a paddock or two paddocks like out kind of in the middle of nowhere and like build a path out there but like i didn't have any there was no rivers or streams or anything so yeah like i would put down like almost like troughs or whatever that would go between the two paddocks so that like the two like different species could share um, water supplies, you know, and then I remember things like, you know, if a dinosaur breaks out, you'd have like little, um, uh, what, what were they called? Like shelters or whatever that your visitors could run to. For me, it was kind of rare that a dinosaurs ever got out because I feel like I was so on top of it. You know, I think there's a lot of good ideas that evolution, uh, when that game comes out or currently in development, there's a lot of ideas from this game that can get kind of adopted into that game. Is there, is there any specific ideas from this game that you really uh, want in the in evolution or is there anything that you'd like to see changed from this game and then brought into evolution uh, for the most part you know if they were to completely 100% adapt this game and bring that over I'd, I'd be totally okay with that but I mean there are a lot of things that we were talking about that are negative as well like dinosaurs dying for no reason people dying from exposure a couple of feet from the pathway uh, the, the tornadoes I mean I, I wouldn't mind if they have natural disasters like that but you know hopefully you would be able to avoid them a little bit better like maybe take more precautions uh dinosaur fights i felt like those were a little fast a lot of the time in operation genesis maybe they could find a way to make those last a little bit longer maybe more like dig sites i, I think that would be great um you know just better integration of creating like the, the rivers and flattening land things like that which i'm sure they'll do it's we, we're, we're all all this many years away from operation genesis i'm sure a lot of those things will be a lot more smooth but i mean at, at its core i think that if they adapted you know what operation genesis was which was you know building your own jurassic park jurassic world 100 uh, to your to your liking i think that's the most important thing so as long as they they get that and then you know maybe add some some stuff to that on the side some more missions maybe things that you could actually do on your own uh, i think that it would make it a really really great game one of the things that i'm hoping they bring to the game is that I want this many dinosaurs that they had in Operation Genesis plus more. Um, and then, you know, with Zoo Tycoon, I said in one of the other podcasts that Zoo Tycoon that they made has a lot of species. And so I'm hoping to see a lot more species. Uh, again, I'm a huge proponent of full-size Dilophosaurs. We still yet to see any of those. And uh, really for me, like my biggest annoyance was like the different numbers, uh, like the caps that you had. You could only open up like, let's say out of 10 dig sites. I don't know if that's what there was, but let's say there was 10. You could only open like five. I get that there's kind of like a, a replayability slash limits of the system kind of thing going on with that. But I would love for there not to be limits on dig sites. Cause I, I don't understand in a, in a real world situation where you would be like, like, well, I'm not going to open up a dig site in China because I have my five already done, you know, in North America or whatever. So I kind of hope they open that up uh, so that you can just get more variants uh, than what Operation Genesis allowed you to do without because you could remove the caps by going in and changing the code uh, mm -hmm. on the PC. But um, I'm just hoping that's an issue that just gets kind of solved right off the bat inside Evolution. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we put a, a post out on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, about like what people's favorite parts of this game were. Why don't we go through and kind of read everyone's uh, reactions? And so I'll start here with uh, Instagram. No Dice 1904 says, "I love the sound effects." Message from Doctor Doctor Grant. Or when the new attraction came out, 
the lady would give a cool introduction over the intercom. And I forgot about that lady. <laughs> she uh, she sounds like the girl from Jurassic World, actually, who is yeah. like the Mosasaur trainer. Um, that, I thought that was a, like a really nice little addition to kind of like she'd get on a loudspeaker and announce to like everyone, you know, your T-Rex showed up or whatever, which was kind of cool. Completely agree. That was that was really fun. Sam Phillips producer on Instagram says his favorite memory is when I traded it in. <laughs> All right, sir. I guess uh, there's always got to be one, right? Oh, yeah. And as a positive note, I'm sure it funded the next video game. So Hopefully. there we go. Christian Sovereign. Uh, says all the parts. Exto Gaza says definitely the use of concept art from the original films like Xbox version of the Visitor Center. So many great little nods to the books as well. Do you th- Can you think of any nods to the books? Like I'm sure he has something or he or she has something specific, but I'm trying to think of anything specific. Do you, do you remember any nods from the books? Have you read the books? I haven't since I was since the 90s. So I would have been just a little kid. <laughs> and I don't even think I would have absorbed 100% of the information at that at that age. But right. um, so off the top of my head, no, I can't think of anything specific that was uh, directly came from the books that might have inspired the game no i remember them saying in the books like the viruses like they had issues with certain ones like always getting sick but to my knowledge and like to my recollection i guess i can't remember anything specifically uh from the book i'm not gonna say there's not at jurassic freak on twitter says the jp slash modding community and how they could take a relatively lacking and simple game and spin it into something amazing GEP and FCM were the best mods ever. As long as you had Notepad, you could tweak the game to your liking with a little know-how. So I personally, like I mentioned earlier, didn't really get a whole lot into that. I was kind of mostly like, and even today, I'm kind of more strictly like what the game does when I buy it, that's kind of what I stick with. But it is really cool that, uh, you know, people were able to mod mod it and make it a little bit more to their liking. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, it's still being modded. I'm the same as you. Um, I was kind of like a out of the box kind of thing other than going into the code that came with the game, changing like the the, the caps that you could open uh, on dinosaurs and, and dig sites. But people were like modding that even like for Jurassic World, you can you can get like a patch to put the Indominus in. I think it's just a retexture of, of one of the other dinosaurs. It's pretty neat that you can even St- you're, people are still playing this game uh, that's you know well over 10 years old uh, and they're modding it to their liking and, and to stay modern with the franchise I think that's pretty neat and uh, if I can ever get my my PC I got a Windows 10 PC if I can get it to run the old game because uh, for some reason it won't I would definitely love to actually try some of these mods because there's some really cool things out there like you know like very specific raptor skins even more movie accurate T-Rex skins uh, there's all kinds of cool stuff out there yeah absolutely that's really cool that uh, people are still enjoying it as much as we did back then and into different levels now with all these mods at owen pratt 93 says the fact that it's visually very faithful to the movies also the sounds and it's easy to play despite having many missions and options so yeah i think that's totally true i mean there were many missions and, and different things you could do within the game and uh, it was quite faithful to the movie. As you mentioned earlier, a lot of the dino- most of the dinosaur designs were almost like exactly like taken from the films. Uh, T-Rex, uh, you-, you know, right down to the coloration look very similar. Uh, right. Velociraptors, uh, Brachiosaurus, they were all very much uh, based on the way they appeared in the first Jurassic Park. So I think that's very true. Yeah, one of the things, you know, he mentioned the sounds. I One of my favorite things was the day that I discovered that I could take, that the, the files on the PC disc were just like files on any other data CD. And I just had like this giant file of mostly movie accurate dinosaur sounds that were isolated. And uh, I remember like setting up my my Dell laptop in college uh, to like, you know, play the different uh, sounds depending on like what I did. So like if I turned off my computer, um, there would be like a Parasaurolophus cry or 
if there was like an error, like the Raptor would bark instead of like the ding that you get with, with Windows XP or whatever. So that was kind of neat. And then like you could also get the soundtrack off there and there was rain effects. There was all kinds of stuff. And uh, hopefully that's something that I, I haven't played a PC game in a very long time, but I, I would be curious to hopefully maybe get some updated sound effects uh, off the new game uh, awesome. when that comes out. At fish10 underscore T says, I love the freedom it offered people in terms of creating their own park and choosing the animals to fill it. And I think we pretty well covered that. We talked about how customizable this game was. And even though you couldn't populate your park with every single species of dinosaur, I mean, you could go after the ones that were your favorite. And, uh, you know, hopefully they would, you could dig up everything you needed. And when you couldn't, you know, you could buy them from the fossil market. Yeah, absolutely. At Jurassic Unicast says, I love the physics and animation on the dinosaurs. This is a real sense of weight to them as they roam around, plus having dino battles. And yeah, I mean, even though some of the uh, the edges were a little bit rough on a lot of those models, I mean, particularly the humans, but that's a whole different thing. I mean, we were all paying attention to the dinosaurs. They were very film accurate, as we've said a few times. You know, I, I do agree with what, what they're saying here about having a sense of weight to them, because especially like these larger dinosaurs, you could they, they look like pretty hefty, like just the way that they were moving, like the Brachiosaurus and the Carcharodontosaurus. And then when you had the Dryosaurus, Dilophosaurus, they were all very agile. You could see them like running around. They did look pretty weightless. So that's a very good observation. What I can appreciate about that is that this game was being developed outside of the, the pinnacle of Jurassic Park popularity. Uh, it came out two years after Jurassic Park 3, which to a lot of fans and box office wise is definitely not the most successful Jurassic movie. In fact, it's probably considered the it's probably considered by most to be the worst one. And so the, the physics and the battles and all the little nods that they gave us, we didn't necessarily this this was almost a game that didn't deserve to exist at the time. You know, Jurassic Park was kind of out of the limelight there for a while. And, you know, by the time you get into 2003, it's not going to be another 12 years before you get another Jurassic movie. Uh, so it's, it was just interesting that the level of detail we got was pretty awesome compared to how popular the franchise was at the time. Totally agree. At J Jurassic says, just love the fact that Hammond's dream became real on your game console. I mean, yeah, completely. It, it's kind of like it was Jurassic World before Jurassic World. Uh, it was your own park. You got to build it. You got to see it through. And, you know, you had everything under control up to a point. Things would happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the very end of it, I mean, you, you could have and manage and, and retain your own Jurassic Park. So I think that was, that's a very good point. I mean, it, it totally was the case. You know, now come to think of it, I think, were there any hotels even in this game? I, I want to say it was just the visitor center. So I guess people stayed at the visitor center. I, I guess they did. Yeah, there are no hotels. There are no hotels at, at this resort. At Gazmillet67 says, dinosaurs dying of thirst while standing in a lake always made me shake my head. But my favorite bit was waiting until the last possible second to sound the tornado alarm to get every last scent from the visitors. And yeah, that, that's kind of one of the things that I was that we mentioned earlier with the Dryosaurus. They were, you know, they had their paddock, they had their food, they had their lake, they were vaccinated, but they would still die all the time. And uh, again, I mean, those tornadoes were just incredibly frustrating. And uh, I mean, he makes a really good point here is they would wait until the last second to sound uh, the tornado alarm, which was true because you would see the, the tornado coming, you would you would notice it like approaching and then 
then the alarm would go off. So it was kind of like, okay, what can I do? Yeah, you know, as far as you know, dinosaurs dying all the time. One of the worst things that I remember about this, uh, one of the most annoying things was, like you said, the the dryosaurs like dying all the time. But it was it was more like the dinosaurs had life expectancies, but they never lasted much longer than their life expectancies. So mm-hmm. if you would go in and let's say hatch five dryosaurs at a time, they would all die at the same exact time. Like they had an expiration date or something. Uh, it was absolutely. It was absolutely ridiculous, and I hope that's something that kind of goes away too. I don't mind the life expectancy thing, but you know, just just the idea of like something would die, and then you knew like instantly that everything else was going to die <laughs> of the same species or or that was hatched around the same exact time. It was so annoying. People have such fond memories for this game, which you know to me is crazy considering, like I said, that this game came out after uh, the big surge of, of Jurassic Park movies. I'm glad to see that people are still playing it. You know, today I, I hope that a lot of the ideas get used in the new Jurassic World Evolution uh, video game i can't really say i can't really say too much bad about this game it just it gave me so many hours of joy as a teenager or i guess in my early 20s because we're talking college era uh you know time for me you know i really can't complain uh too much about this game considering the the limits that they had on on those video game consoles and, and on the pcs of the time absolutely and i was actually uh, in college too when, when, when i bought, got this game 2003 or sorry 2005 i mean i i still kind of associate those years to some extent to playing this game because i would have like literally like six hour uh sittings where i would just play the game <laughs> I've never done yeah. that like in my life with any other video game. It was just like to me it was like amazing. And uh, even though I don't really play it all that often, I think I mentioned that the last time I played it was like in early 2015. Uh, it's still one of those games that you know if it were convenient for me to you know set up the Xbox 360, which I haven't played in a long time, uh, you know I would totally do it and play this game because even though it's not 100% you know graphic wise with what we're seeing today. I mean, it's still a fun game. It's still really the only way you can, can pretty easily build your own Jurassic Park and make it to your liking. So, I mean, it, it totally holds up even all these years later. This was something that came to Xbox One original Xbox backwards compatibility program. This is something that I would spend easily 20 to $30 to, to rebuy this game digitally. Um, again, I think these, the studio's closed and and I'm sure that, the, you know, people are kind of wanting to focus on Jurassic World at this point. But uh, if this got put, you know, on one of the newer consoles, I would replay this. The only reason I don't play is, again, that a lot of, you know, my PC has kind of moved on to being able to play the disc. My PS2 is a hassle to set up, uh, you know, so if it was easy to play, I would for sure jump in. Uh, If if it were convenient, I mean, I could see myself spending a lot of time playing it, probably more than I should even. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, my history of a gamer is I wasn't really that big into video games uh, until I met my wife seven or eight years ago. It was rare for a video game to uh, take up so much of my time. And this was one of those rare occasions that it did, and I'm very grateful for that. It was it was a, it was a lot of fun, and uh, took up a lot of my free time. <laughs> totally agree with that. All right, so as we kind of wrap things up here, uh, you know, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on my YouTube channel, Victoria Scantina. Do a lot of reviews. Lately, it's been mostly on focused on Star Wars, but we do a lot of uh, classic Jurassic Park from Kenner, and uh, once the Jurassic World Two merchandise rolls around, we'll definitely be focusing on that as well. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at VicScantina, and uh, uh, on Twitter at Vix Cantina as well. Great, and uh, anybody out there listening can find me on Twitter at Aaron D. Byer. Uh, you know, feel free to tweet at us uh, still. You know, what your favorite moments are from this game? What did you love about this game? What did you hate about this game? Uh, you know, any of your your thoughts and comments on that. So, you know, I think that'll wrap things up for this session of the Game Trail. I hope to have you back on the segment. This was great. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Aaron, for having me on. It's been a pleasure talking with you about Operation Genesis. Yeah, you have a great day.
do not fire. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Boy, my head being right all the time. We're gonna have to drop the can. Are you ready? One, two, come on. So here in the audio segment this week, we actually have a character name reveal via Fallen King actor Rafe Spall. Now, I wouldn't classify this character name a spoiler, but I guess if you don't want to know what his name is, skip ahead a minute. Trust me, there's no spoilers. It's fine. Let's take a listen. And you've got, obviously, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom coming out. Now, I spoke to Bryce Dallas Howard, and she said it's one of the best screenplays she'd ever Read. I, mean, I thought you said one of the best screen performances you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so close, so close. So close. Uh, <laughs> I, I heard your intake of yeah, you're t- <laughs> She said, what? <laughs> Is she? Can you imagine if you'd heard that, though, and you answered it like, well, you know, Cheers. I just gave my all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always do. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, yeah, how your sort of character fits into that, and if if if, if the screenplay is as as good as they uh, as they say. Jeez Louise, dude, I, I I I just don't know what I'm allowed to say, man. Like we all don't know, say anything. It's easy for Bryce to say because we know that Bryce plays Claire, and we all know that. But I can't. I I, I just my I'm called Eli Mills. I'm in the whole movie. <laughs> it's a really good part. I love doing it. Bayona was wonderful. The screenplay was terrific. Uh, Bryce and. Um, uh, Chris Pratt were, were lovely. James Cromwell's in it. He was really great. Loved Babe. Um, so yeah. Sorry, man. That's, that's, that's yeah. still quite good. Yeah. I think you gave too much away. I don't know the character So there you have it. Uh, that character is somebody that we will spend years and years talking about. Eli Mills, he joins the rank, uh, a long list of Jurassic characters that we've come to know, love, or hate. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he falls in the in there. Are we going to love this character or are we going to hate him? I don't really know. Um, it seems like Eli Mills will be throughout the entire film via his um, words here. He says he loves this character, the script, and all that. So... Uh, of course, paint me interested, and I'm sure you all are very interested too. Head to our show notes to find the link to the full interview and other discussions from Rafe Spall. Are you hearing this? Make sure to visit JurassicParkPodcast.com to find all our past episodes, brand new news articles, information on how to contact us, and much more. It's a great source for everything related to the podcast, and of course, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Head to JurassicParkPodcast.com and help us build a great community. Anybody hear that? Thanks for listening to the 120th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Of course, a big thanks to Arjun again for the audio this week. Extinction Level isn't slowing down anytime soon. I'm continually looking forward to what it has to offer here on the podcast. Stay tuned, like I said, for next episode, where episode 9 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park airs. Also, a big thanks to Aaron and Victoria for breaking down Operation Genesis. I am I'm honestly super upset that I never had the opportunity opportunity to play this game when it was released, but um, I think I'm going to actually play Jurassic World Evolution 
enough to make up for that loss, I think. I hope you all enjoyed their looking at the game and maybe, like myself, we'll dive into this replay sometime soon. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast, and our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via iTunes, Google Play, Podomatic, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review on iTunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help out our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. We're usually spotted commenting on the Jurassic Park subreddit as Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links that you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, comments, or if you want to debut a segment of your own, send them to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Or you can submit questions directly on our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give our voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening and enjoy. No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.